Today's topic is an emotion that likely everyone has dealt with, but be careful as it can lead to so much more. So anger not only lies, it sneaks into our lives and it can take over. It's like a gateway drug to bitterness, resentment, slander, gossip, cynicism, passive aggressiveness. Again, we could go on with this list. It creates a vicious cycle of hurt and resentment, and unless someone stops it, it just keeps going. Well, hello, and welcome to Unshaken. I'm your host, Julie Van Warmer. And today on this episode, it's 155, we are going to be delving into our fifth installment of our Feminology series. This year, we are focusing in Feminology all on emotions, which a lot of women have. And this particular episode focuses on an emotion with a lot of gumption. I'm going to say that I feel really old saying gumption. Um, I would say it's an emotion that we are going to all deal with at some point in our life. Um, and we're going to spend the entire episode talking and walking through this emotion. And today we're going to talk about anger. And I want to introduce you to my guest. She's been on with us before. And um, her name is Heidi Hunsaker. Did I say it right? Closer. Ah! <laughs> Tell it to me one more time. You tell me your name. That's what I should do. Hunsaker. 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 Little fun fact. Okay. My first name is Heidi Marie, and most okay. people don't know that. Okay. Heidi Marie. Oh, you're, that's your whole first name. My first name is Heidi Marie, okay. and then my middle name is Colleen. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Mouthful. Well, welcome to the episode, Heidi Marie <laughs> Colleen Hunsaker. You can just call me Heidi. Okay. We're just going <laughs> to go with Heidi. All right. I'm really excited today because um, you've been on before, which is great, and we've had a chance to talk before, um, and that was episode 97, which was quite a ways ago. Mm -hmm. Do you remember what we talked about? We talked about humility. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about humility and pride. You always get the good. <laughs> Anger is your topic today, man. <laughs> I almost made a joke about it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm excited about it because I think these are topics that we have to talk about um, if you haven't listened to episode 97, he head back to our archives and you can check it out. It was great. And I think um, it, we're going to have a great episode today. Heidi, before we jump into this episode, I always ask something to my guest. So here's your on-the-spot question. Are you ready? Yep. All right. What is a favorite quick summer meal or quick summer dessert that you love to make at your house? Like the kind that you just can pull right out of your head and get the ingredients. That... Is a hard one. Okay. I don't know if I would say they're quick. Um, but my favorite go-to, and it really came about last year, we were having large groups over, and it was simpler to turn it into almost the same meal for the yeah. same groups because yes. I was having three, four large families over. Okay. I was all outside. So we started doing some chicken on the grill, but the main component, I think, that took it over the edge, we were making corn on the cob, like fresh corn on the Ooh. cob. Oh, and it doesn't get any better than that for the summer. Yes. I can remember being a kid and I lived on a farm mm -hmm. and we would grow, yeah, you know, yep. sweet corn. Yep. And I can remember having many meals where that's literally all we ate. Really? That's it? it? Because we had so much. Yeah. And it was like, okay, you can have three ears of corn, like as a kid. And yeah. who, who does not? I mean, I think probably. Oh, amazing. Probably we had some protein, I would say. But that's like basically a big pile of it. Oh, yeah. That's how we do it. Yeah. yeah. We, Yeah. We're going to be putting it up this year, too. I didn't grow it, but we're going to get it from the Amish. We have okay. Amish near us. Okay. That's awesome. And yeah. so you're going to freeze it or can it? 
Uh, freeze it. Freeze it. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Do people can corn? I don't uh, think I so. I do, but it's so much better if you freeze okay. it. It just has a whole different flavor. If you don't do that, you should really look into it. It is completely worth your time. All right. Well, good. Um, well, I guess it's time to stop talking about summer fun and start talking about this topic. Um, you, Heidi, are going to share with us all about anger. And I'm sure that we are not going to cover everything in this episode, but let's not wait anymore. Let's just get right at it. Heidi, teach us a little bit about anger. <laughs> I will try. Um, so when I was a kid, I loved to watch sitcoms. Um, but there was always this one storyline that I hated when they would do it. And it was when all the shows would do the walk down the memory lane episode. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about, but they was like they needed a break from filming. So they would tell the story through a bunch of old episodes and clips. <laughs> and I think this is how our mind works through memories. They can flash in your mind the most memorable moments, both good and bad. And um, that's kind of more visual, but it also happens with words. Like if someone in our house says stand up, we literally all will start singing stand up, stand up for Jesus, ye soldiers of the cross. Um, not a singer, but there you go. <laughs> um, so you get the picture. Well, for me in, in anger, it is a Sunday school lesson. I have sat through hundreds, um, probably closer to thousands because I'm that old, of Sunday school lessons, and only a few do I remember, um, and this is one of them. I can't remember all the details, but the topic was anger, and that day we learned about God's righteous anger and how hard it is for us to actually express it, and by the end of that lesson, I was totally convicted. I had never heard that my anger for righteous things could be expressed wrongly. I mean, I knew I shouldn't blow up an abortion center, but <laughs> other than that, I hadn't given it a lot of thought. Um, but before we get that far, I'm going to ask you, what is the first thing that pops into your mind if I say the word anger? Okay, take a second or two and think about it. Okay. Hopefully you have something. All right, Julie, we're not a call-in radio show. Those were <laughs> nope. the cool days. <laughs> but and that's also HSB. Um, but you can go ahead and answer for the audience. What What do I think of with the word anger? Yeah, not what makes you angry, but do, what's the first thing oh, that pops into your mind? I, I think of um, like fighting, and I think of like I think of the color red. Uh, that, okay, that's interesting. We'll we'll hit back on that. Okay. That was interesting to me to hear. <laughs> Gosh, I feel like I'm being psychoanalyzed here. So, um, Yeah, I'm not real good at that, but yeah. <laughs> so I actually asked some of my kids, and my niece was there, so I asked her too. And the funny part, during that, my two-year-old um, started screaming at someone, um, fighting over something. And I guess I, we could count that as his answer, that he, he needed to express his anger very loudly. Um, but anyways, the kids said things like loss of patience, being unkind, selfishness, um, when you're made to do something, not controlling your emotions. Um, they said there are different types of anger. Um, one even said God gets angry. So I was actually pleasantly surprised with some of those answers. I don't know if I expected quite that good of answer, actually. Um, then I asked them, what are you angry about? Um, and they didn't even hesitate. They totally said, yes, we have some of those. And they said things like, when people hit me, 
Um, other people, just in general, um, when their sibling gets away with things, when siblings are lazy, when I have to do all the work, um, and they went on and on right down that line of thinking. Um, then I thought just for fun, because in our house, we always like to ask Siri questions, um, which is AKA our government listening device, if you don't know. Um, we decided to ask Siri the question, but I must have messed up when I asked it because instead of Siri giving me the definition for anger, which is what I expected to hear, Siri responded with, I'm okay. If you're having those feelings right now, let me know if you'd like some advice. So like anyone who wants to be added to a government watch list, I said, yes. So Siri told me, I'm sorry you're feeling that way. I've heard that taking your mind off things can help. Take a break and find something that makes you smile. So <laughs> what could be the takeaway from that? Well, first, anger must not be wrong because Siri did not say anything about changing my thinking patterns just to take a break and find what makes me smile. Well, that took me back to when I was a kid and I would have to do chores with my brother and let's just say he wasn't the best worker. In fact, he was pretty darn lazy. And I had to pick up the slack a lot, like all the time. And I assure you, it made me angry. So sometimes I would deal with that situation, not in the best way. I'd maybe yell at him or something like that. But sometimes I would take another route, which is Siri's route. I thought it was hilarious to give my brother a wedgie, maybe slap him with the wet dish towel. You know, you get the picture. And I can assure you that sure made me smile, but it did not make him smile. I think he probably was angry. How do I know? Well, he told on me. Then he smiled. So I guess Siri does give great advice after all. We both ended up smiling, but I don't think my mom was. <laughs> <laughs> um, so obviously this isn't the best way to deal with this emotion. So in short, the world's definition of anger, and this is a very, I'll just read it here. It's an emotion characterized by antagonism towards someone or something you feel has deliberately done you wrong. Anger can be a good thing. It can give you a way to express negative feelings, for example, or motivate you to find solutions to problems. But excessive anger can cause problems. So in short, the world says anger is fine. It's natural. It's just a reaction. Just go over. Just don't go overboard. But what does the Bible say? Well, it says God is angry. Jesus is angry. It's hard for some to reconcile that God is angry, and especially that Jesus himself gets angry. After all, the world preaches that Jesus is love. And there's an idea out there that Jesus isn't even capable of wrath or anger. It's a complete dissociation of God the Father from Jesus the Son. But God is one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God is angry, and so is Jesus. So what is God angry about? Proverbs tells us there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. In Romans, it tells us that for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. In Nahum, it says the Lord is jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath from his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, great in power, and the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. In Psalms, it tells us God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. 
This is just a small portion of what you can find if you look it up. But it tells us that God hates sin. He he's unrighteous. He hates sin, unrighteousness, and God is jealous, avenging, wrathful, slow to anger, and righteous. So what was specifically angered Jesus? Well, in John chapter 2, he throws the money changers out. I think that's one of the most famous ones you can think of. And then in Mark, he was healing on the Sabbath. And when he was questioned, um, it says that he looked around at them with anger. And then there was a time when the disciples tried to keep the children from him. And in Mark, it tells us, but when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. So God is angry. Jesus is angry. And we know the Lord is holy, righteous, merciful, and just. So because of this, he must be angry against our sin. But there are some key aspects of anger that we should remember. Like we said earlier, God is slow to anger. In Exodus, it says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Also, God is a just warrior. He will make things right. Righteous anger is on behalf of the weak or the oppressed. In Psalms 18, King David is crying out for help against Saul. It says, In my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. From his temple, he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked to the foundations. Also, the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Um, point three, righteous anger is redemptive. In Colossians 2, it says, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. This tells us his anger is constrained while his love in Christ is given to us. His love knows no bounds and is shown through his son, Jesus, the only righteous man who died for us and his anger is diverted, the anger we rightly deserved. Righteous anger is acting in God's will. In John, it says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So in short, yes, God is angry. Jesus is angry. They are angry at our sin, as we should be. So let us dive into what Scripture shares with us through man and how we can be right and wrong in our anger. Right away in Genesis, we have our first murder. Cain kills Abel. It's a story of jealousy, hate, and anger. Then we move on and we see King Saul tries to kill David quite a bit, <laughs> which is another <laughs> jealousy-hate situation. But what if you're acting on behalf of someone? Because we know that justification is, you know, on behalf of someone, the oppressed. Well, we have Simeon and Levi. They murdered on behalf of their sister's rape. But even though this is the taking the line of protecting the weak or the justice against the oppressed— God says otherwise. He says, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and for their wrath, for it is cruel. They overdid it. They took vengeance upon themselves, and the Lord says, Vengeance is mine. Then there's Job, who had a lot to be angry about. He loses his wealth, his children, his health, and eventually he begins to question God. And the Lord responded to him in Job, and he says, Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Here, Job realizes his folly, that he didn't have the knowledge. 
And in chapter 42, it says, and Job says, therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. He understands and confesses and repents here. And then he says, therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. So even if our situation is desperate, remember the Lord is working. He is in control. Okay, let's look at Moses because he gets it right twice, but wrong once. So first, after telling Pharaoh of the final plague coming, Scripture tells us he left him in hot anger. Yet he is not rebuked for this. His anger is just and righteous because he knows the hard-hearted Pharaoh will not listen. But he also knows it's from the Lord. Then we have the golden calf moment, another pretty famous one you could think of for anger. Moses has been up with the Lord. He's receiving the Ten Commandments. And then the Lord became angry with the people. And while he's up there, he says, while they can still witness the cloud for the Lord, a visible proof of the Lord's presence. And then they ask Aaron for an idol to worship. Well, God becomes angry and Moses reminds him of what he has done for the stiff-necked people and his promises. And it says the Lord relented from his anger. But then as Moses comes down and witnesses the singing and worshiping, he says his anger burned hot. And he threw down the tablets and they broke. Even in this, Moses is not condemned in his anger because he was acting in God's will. But we do see where Moses, while angry over the sin of Israel, disobeys himself and is rebuked. The people are grumbling yet again and crying out for water. And the Lord tells Moses to speak to the rock and water will pour forth. But in his anger, he strikes the rock instead of speaking. And for his unrighteous anger and disobedience, he is rebuked. He can no longer enter the promised land. This is heavy stuff. He is angry at sin and grumbling, yet he took matters into his own hands and half did what the Lord told him to do. And this is a sobering reminder that we are to take God at his word and not add to it. So we must ask ourselves, can this be lived out in a godly way like Moses did with dealing with Pharaoh? So yes, we can use anger, but we must be very careful and tread lightly. Remember, even in Moses failed in this. But before we get into that, we need to also understand that we should be angry. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. I know that sounds quite the opposite of what you would expect to hear, especially when there's a pervasive worldview of Christianity that waters down the Lord to almost a Santa Claus level, or that he's all about love and only capable of love, which of course he is love, but not in the way the world would define it. But in that love, we have justice against sin. And we already explored this earlier, but knowing that God does have righteous anger and that it's a communicable attribute, meaning something we should imitate, we must understand how we can be anger, angry righteously with the help of the Holy Spirit, like Moses. Two times he was righteous, one he was not. So how do we figure out what we should be angry about and what we shouldn't? Well, anger at its most basic level, it's saying that this is wrong, it cannot be overlooked, I cannot let it go, and I'm compelled to make it right. So we are told by Paul in Ephesians to be imitators of God, and if God gets angry, we should too for the same things that God is angry about. So those oppressing the weak, sin, false teachers, liars, deceivers, hypocrites, millions of babies being aborted when someone is abused or raped, and we can go on and on listing these things. Now in our fallen state, to be angry about these things, we must be careful. Ask ourselves, is this producing fruit? Is it in line with God's will? 
Does it move us to act in faith, love, and true justice? In James 1.20, it says, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Righteous anger should produce fruit. It should be done in love and without selfish desires. When we do not care about a sinner's repentance and only our justice, we have lost sight of grace. And as sinners saved by grace, we must show this. Living this out in a fruit-producing manner is not easy at all. We live in a world filled with anger. Just listen to these sobering statistics. 25% of people worry about how angry they get, sometimes feel. 60% agree that people in general are getting angrier. 45% regularly lose their temper at work. 27% of nurses have been attacked at work. That one I was shocked at. 5% of, of us have had a fight with neighbors. 80% of drivers say they have been involved in a road rage incident. 25% of drivers have committed the act of road rage. Uh, that's just it's so many. 50% have overreacted to computer problems with anger. I was actually surprised that wasn't more. <laughs> I don't know people are being honest with that one. Because <laughs> I know I've definitely gotten angry over my computer or phone uh, more than once. <laughs> um, earlier I shared what my family had thought about anger. But I also asked my Facebook friends the same thing. And I, the first thing I said, what is the first word that comes to mind if I say anger? And I had some interesting answers. Um, one was peanuts. Not sure what that was about. Um, but things like frustration. Um, and Julie's answer, the color red, mm. which I just didn't think about that ever. Um, that's so interesting. <laughs> I know. And many people wrote that. I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that's true. Um, irate. Um, bitter, rage, um, and many things that kind of went around the same lines. These are probably the better words for that. Um, then I asked them in a separate post, I said, what makes you angry? And they responded with messes, being hangry, mistreatment of others, stress, pressure, feeling sick, being disrespected, excuses, slow walkers, overpaid athletes. <laughs> yeah. Um, one person actually responded simply, it's an emotion, we all have them. <clears throat> and I think this sums it up. The world sees it as simply another emotion, that you should share your anger and not hold on to it as long as it's not out of control. Otherwise, you could be called a Karen. The problem with this whole thinking, even in the world, even if the world is angry about something God is angry about, like oppressed children, they do not have the truth in them and no love. So their reactions can rarely, if ever, produce fruit. For example, even criminals have a sense of justice. It's common knowledge that in a prison system, sometimes the child abuse inmates must be separated from the general population. Why? Well, because even hardened criminals agree that injustice prevailed upon the weak is vile. They take justice into their own hands. Um, but this is not how to deal with anger and injustice. But like all emotions, we do have them. And they are not a plumb line of truth, though. In fact, anger is a liar. It's complicated and mostly rooted in selfishness. And if you think you do not have anger or deal with anger, you better take a step back and really look at yourself and ask your husband or a trusted friend to help you see it. I guarantee you we all have anger to deal with. So I think that's the first lie that comes from this emotion is that we don't have it. 
we tell ourselves we are not angry when we really are. If you catch yourself feeling sorry for yourself, repeating conversations over and over in our head, or even having fake conversations, and you're always coming out right in the end. You know what I'm talking about. We all do that. If you weren't angry about a situation, you wouldn't spend all that time thinking about it. Um, lie number two, that we are owed justice, that we must have all things made right. Really, we are often pursuing vengeance, not true justification. Lie number three, that it's productive, that it brings the results you want, but it's usually counterproductive. It does not usually produce good fruit. At best, it produces momentary pleasure. We've all been there when we just had to have the last word, had to get our point across, but at what cost? In my house, this counterproductive nature shows up when training our children. In Ephesians 6, 4, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I think this one is extremely difficult to deal with. We are called to discipline our children, but in that, we exasperate them. We react in anger and frustration, and our focus is on ourselves and not the Lord. We say we're doing this for the Lord, but our heart and actions say otherwise. Instead of calling them to the sin of laziness and their lack of work, we are angry because the dishes aren't done, and Grandma may have unexpectedly stopped by and saw the mess, and now she thinks we're terrible housekeepers. You know what I'm talking about. This may or may not have happened to me, and by that it did, and very recently. (laughs) (laughs) This verse alone is a whole other talk, but be extremely careful in this area. Is your discipline purpose to produce godly fruit or mom's comfort? Have you ever heard this saying, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy? Well, this was on my family's fridge growing up, and it's funny at first read-through, but the truth is this can often be the driving force behind the running of the house. Repeat this to yourself. It isn't about you. Hmm. Instead of being angry that your children have sinned against you, you must realize they have sinned against the Lord. You are there to teach them to listen to the Holy Spirit and to have a soft heart for the Lord. It's not about your clean house. Hmm. Lie number four, it perceived wrong. Just because you feel wrong doesn't mean you were wronged. The heart above all is deceitful. I could say a whole lot more in this area. Just be very careful. So anger not only lies, it sneaks into our lives and it can take over. It's like a gateway drug to bitterness, resentment, slander, gossip, cynicism, passive aggressiveness. Again, we could go on with this list. It creates a vicious cycle of hurt and resentment, and unless someone stops it, it just keeps going. I think we should stop here and for a moment and touch on bitterness. In Hebrews, it tells us, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now, for those of you dealing with deep-rooted bitterness, it will take work to let this go. I dealt with this, but because anger is a liar, I would never have thought or admitted in my prideful state that I was bitter. But I will tell you one thing. If any, want, anytime someone offends you in a similar way over and over, and you recall that list of wrongs, you're keeping that record. If you feel compelled to talk about it with others in the guise of, I need to get some advice, you, but you really just want others to see how bad you really have it, you're just gossiping. You must recognize and repent. You must forgive as your Father in Heaven has forgiven you. You see, I had been bitter against a family member for a long time. I had totally deceived myself that it was righteous anger. If I would even go that far to admit that I was angry, 
I like to rename it with something that didn't have as bad of a negative connotation, like sad or brokenhearted. But because I was the oppressed person, I'm doing air quotes here, and everyone agreed with me that I told, I was easily deceived into thinking there was no actual anger there. You see where I'm going with this? In my anger, I felt justified, but really I gossiped. I slandered. I was resentful. It was a vicious cycle. Here's the thing. Was this person wrong? Yes. Was I wrong? Yes. Should I have felt that much anger? No. Once the Lord let me see myself for who I really was, an angry, bitter person, I was freed. This was the miraculous part. I began to love this person, just like Corinthians tells us, to believe all things and hope all things. You see, I was only seeing the situation from my point of view. I didn't take time to see it from the other side. I was seeing the situation like a cynic. It says, or do not walk the lonely road of cynicism and always thinking the worst. I could share many stories of how jumping to the worst conclusions destroys relationships, which is what I was doing. I tell this to people all the time. Until you know for certain the heart behind someone's actions, do not provide the motivation yourself. Do not assume you are to hope for all things. There are times that you will be sinned against or a situation does need dealt with, but how you handle that is where the rubber meets the road. You must pray for wisdom. Ask the Holy Spirit to guide you. In John 14, 16 through 17, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. So follow the biblical principles found in Matthew for dealing with relationships. When we do not when we do need to confront an issue, make sure we are quick to forgive like your Father in heaven has forgiven you. In Ephesians 4, it says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up, as fit for the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I think we need a little disclaimer here, though. You do not need to confront every issue. Sometimes you simply forgive and move on. Forgive as your Father in Heaven has forgiven you. So now that we know we have anger, that it's a liar and a deceiver, we need to do a quick heart check. Ask yourself, how am I angry? Is this about me or about the Lord? If it's about me, which it most likely will be, you need to remember to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Put off the falsehood and put on your righteousness or God's righteousness. Just because we are not bursting out in anger or yelling at the checkout lady doesn't mean we don't have our anger. Remember earlier we said anger is sneaky and it lies. So how do you deal with anger and those that have wronged you? Are you able to have hard conversations? Are you able to speak truth? Or do you hide behind passive aggressiveness, cynicism? Or do you retreat in your anger with pious stoicism? These are lazy ways to deal with relationships and anger. If someone you love is sinning in some way, you should love them enough to help them. And by all means, say it with grace and humility or simply let it go. Philippians 2 tells us, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. I am, like you all, intimately familiar with anger in all its forms. 
So how has this manifested itself in my life as a married woman? I have really taken this all too familiar verse out of context. Don't let Mm -hmm. the sun go down on anger as a way to justify airing all my grievances. Instead of rushing to confrontation under the guise of scripture telling me not to be angry, I really need to slow down, pray, meditate on God's word, and ask myself some hard questions. Is this really a justifiable issue? Should I be confronting this? Did they even sin against me? How am I sinning in this as well? Will this bring about fruit and healing, or am I just getting the last word in, so to speak? Am I truly loving this person? Is the point of the confrontation to bring about God's righteousness or my own vindication? When you put it into a context like that, I know firsthand you let a lot of stuff go. And if it is something that needs dealt with, you are able to calmly and lovingly approach it so fruit is produced. In James 1.19, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. So knowing we are to, sl- to be slow to anger, but we also know that anger tends to be a reaction to perceived wrong, you need to be able to recognize your triggers. We all have them. Essentially working through that log in your own eye, because we all experience anger. I was reading an article in preparation for this talk, and I loved this analogy. I compare anger to a minefield. We all have one, but how full is yours? So like my dad or husband, they have very few mines in their minefield. You can easily approach them without ever stepping on a mine. They are not easily angered. My dad always said, don't sweat the small stuff. Then you have the other extreme, that you can barely approach that person without some type of explosion going off. We can all picture a person like this, even if it means looking in the mirror. In Proverbs 19.11, it says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. You see, when my dad said, don't sweat the small stuff, he was overlooking offenses, not worrying about what he can't fix. He didn't get angry at small things. Do you get irate when your order was messed up? Do you fly off the handle when cut off in traffic? Or maybe your anger is a little more subtle. Do you roll your eyes when your parents ask something of you? Utter under your breath when you hear something you don't like? Are you quick to reply on social media with a defensive statement or a rude meme? When we are sweating the small stuff, we are not loving. And John, it says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Essentially, when we get hung up on these petty things, we are not not only loving, but we are also tainting our witness. We cannot be known for our love for one another if we don't show it. And for you with little ones, this is even a graver challenge. They are learning how to deal with this emotion of anger by watching you and imitating you. Are they learning self-control and deference for others, or are they learning to explode, or is obedience outward only while anger is brewing under the surface? One litmus test to see how big your minefield really is, how are others reacting around you? If you recognize your family is walking on eggshells around you, you probably have a problem. I honestly just recognized this the other day. I could give you all the excuses. Baby was up all night. I was sick. The kids were fighting. But I recognized how my husband was talking to me, and it was humbling because I saw it. He was walking very tenderly around me to avoid my minefield. Praise the Lord, he opened my eyes, and I asked my husband to forgive me, and we had a good laugh, and I have a good story to share here. (laughs) (laughs) So ask yourself, how big is your minefield? Have you been adding mines or taking them away? Okay, wow, that is really helpful because 
well, there's so many things, Heidi, that I could comment on, but a couple of them that really hit me. One was you didn't, you told us we had to ask ourselves a question. And um, it's interesting. You didn't say the question that you asked was not, um, am I angry? It was, how am I angry? Like yes. to add that little, isn't that an adverb? To add that little word to explain how is really interesting because it means we all are going to deal with anger. Absolutely. Even the sweetest, kindest little old lady in the corner <laughs> or whoever you can think of probably has dealt with that. I also love um, how you brought out the different lies. Like those were really helpful to think through how, really how Satan tries to lie and how anger lies to us and tells us different things. That's, that's good to kind of go back through those. What were those again? The first lie is that you don't have anger. Like, Which is your question, how? Yeah, exactly. Like that's really the question to answer. Oh, Absolutely. Lie number two, that we are owed justice. Lie number three, that it's productive. Which is what the world says. Let it out, girl, right? Oh, yeah. And lie number four, that you have a perceived wrong, like you mm. feel wronged. Yeah, that's really helpful to go through. I, I think um, another thing like you commented about, um, you know, like, Anger is kind of has a whole bunch of sister sins, mm-hmm. you know, and they kind of all go together and it's hard to kind of weed through them all. But like bitterness and, you know, discontent, these all kind of roll together. And um, I love your illustration from whatever article you read. So I guess it's not your illustration, Heidi. I but, wish it was. It yeah. Was not. But about the minefield. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really good to think about. It's so true. because you, you start thinking through it and you're like, oh, yeah. I'm like, that's why he's talking to me like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's easy for us to see it in other people, mm-hmm. harder to see it in ourselves. Yeah. Which I love that you gave the great example that you realized the Holy Spirit kind of like convicted you that the reason your husband was responding that way. And then you dealt with it. You like said, hey, I'm sorry. Yeah. It definitely comes out in those times where you're stressed or it's a kind of a season of hardness because it like, like anger is a liar. Like... You don't always have a full minefield. I don't always have that right. going on. But right. the times that it does, it's good to recognize yes, that. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you, Heidi, for sharing. Would you pray for us? I would. I'd be happy to. <clears throat> Dear Lord, we thank you and praise you for your creation that surrounds us and allows us to create technology that we can communicate with so many at once. Thank you for your word that teaches us how to better understand and use our emotions in a God-honoring way. Help us to root out our minefields of anger and use it only for your good and glory. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much again, Heidi, for coming on and for sharing on this hot topic. My pleasure. Yeah, it was good. I, I think we all should ask ourselves, how am I angry every day? Mm-hmm. And I think we should ask ourselves those questions you said, like, how big is my minefield and have I been adding mines or have I been taking them away? And I think the biggest thing that I've learned from this is to really take a moment and think, is this something that God would really be angry about mm. or is this just me? Yeah, that's really good. And it's time for this episode's tiny tidbit. A tiny tidbit is just a small piece of information that can help you in a really big way. Today's tiny tidbit is brought to you from Shelby Hauser. Shelby, you're gonna share with us a little bit about protecting our children. But before you do and give us the, the nitty gritty of what to do, why would I be at why would you be talking about this? What's your background? Well, for about the last 12 years I've been involved in anti-human trafficking work. Mm. 
that's given me some insight into this topic. And it's a more serious tidbit yes. today. Yes. But but that's okay because we can we need these things sometimes too. So so what do you have for us today? So when I learned about human trafficking, my eyes were opened because mm-hmm. I was pretty naive to the dangers that American youth face today. And people tend to think that trafficking and child sexual abuse can happen mostly with strangers, stranger danger, that's what we learned. Um, But more often it actually happens within families or with people who are known to the victim. So those statistics are staggering. I'm not going to go there today. Okay, okay. Um, But I want to just share a a few simple practical steps. Okay, I love this. We we can use these steps to protect young kids. And I think it's really important to teach age appropriately. So today I just want to share with... you a few things that we can do with toddlers and young young kids okay good so i've got seven tips for safeguarding young kids okay number one in our house we like to use anatomically correct terminology for private body parts i love it that's so um we talk often about the importance of privacy and we refuse to use euphemisms or silly words because we want our kids to be able to communicate really clearly if something made them uncomfortable related mm-hmm. to their body. Mm-hmm. And with time, we'll increase their vocabulary and their sure. understanding. Well, that also opens the door for them to talk to you about things. Exactly. And if someone calls them, calls their body something that they know that's not the name for it, that should set a little red flag that's for them too. That's a great point. All right, number two, we re- like to read books with our kids that introduce topics like the wondrous bodies that God designed for us and harder to discuss themes like God's design for sex mm-hmm. and what to do if they're exposed to pornography. Mm-hmm. We don't believe in having the talk just once, but we endeavor to start conversations and build upon those over time. Mm-hmm. Number three, kids love games. Uh, We have this board game that's a lot like Candyland, Mm -hmm. but it introduces safety topics of all situations. Okay. So it can be fire safety or crossing the street safely or if you're offered drugs and or other things, it even has school shooter incidents. Okay. Okay. Um, so this opens up a dialogue on a lot of topics that we might be too nervous to bring up on our own, or we're not sure how to do that in an mm. age-appropriate way, um, or maybe we're just too busy. Yeah. There's just not enough time to cover yep, all the things we need right. to do. So we actually played this game yesterday for over an hour, and my kids just love it. Yeah. They think it's it's just fun for them to think about safety situations. Yeah. Um, an alternative, if you don't have the same board game I have, is you can just make up uh, what-if scenarios. Yeah. It's a great car game. Yeah. You know? I was going to say, like, role-playing is good because yeah. it helps kids prepare themselves for what they need to say yeah. or do in certain situations. Exactly. I mean, that's true with just being, you know, sharing with your neighbor kid. You exactly. Know, let's, yeah. Let's, let's practice this ahead. So that is awesome. I love yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, number four, we name trusted adults at our houses. So these are people that we, parents, trust okay. implicitly. And we encourage our kids to go to them in an emergency or if they need to share something confidential. Our family moves really often, so this can be really challenging to assess, Mm. but we then have to go to the Lord and ask Him for discernment as we move to a new Mm -hmm. town or a new church. Um, And He has been so faithful to do that. And um, we also make sure to spend time around adults before we place our kids in their care. Yeah. Um, When our kids come home from being in someone else's care, we make a point to ask questions like, was there anything that made you uncomfortable? Or is there anything else you wanted to tell me today? Yeah. I ask those questions almost daily. Yeah. Uh, so that my kids are used to answering Exactly. Those. It becomes normal. Right. Yeah. Uh, just a note here, 
Just because someone is family or part of your church family doesn't necessarily mean they should be a trusted adult for your kids. So if you or your child are uncertain or uneasy about someone, I recommend you just hold off on leaving your kids with them. Yeah. Number five, we have implemented a family password for use in emergencies. Oh, I've heard of these. Okay. So we teach our kids that they should never go anywhere with another adult, even a trusted adult, without express permission from us. But of course, emergencies can happen, right? Yeah. So in such a case, we have a family password that we will give to that adult, that person person who's allowed, and we teach our kids, ask for the password before you go anywhere with someone. If they don't have the password, don't go. So we involve our kids in choosing that password. It can get pretty silly, of course. Yes. Yes. You don't want it to be like blue, right? Right. That's a little too common. (laughs) Right. Or the kids might tell. Um, Maybe tangerine. A little more (laughs) fancy of a word. (laughs) There you go. So we have a family password for use in emergencies. Good. Number six, protect internet-ready devices. This is a topic that I could go on for hours, but I'll keep it real concise today. This is a tidbit, so. (laughs) We firmly believe in locking down devices to prevent unwanted exposures, and also in teaching our kids about the wonders and the pitfalls Mm. of the World Wide Web. Our devices at our house are only used in public spaces of the house, and our young kids are not allowed to use devices without supervision. Mm Number seven, and most importantly, we have to entrust our kids to the Lord. Mm, yep. Isaiah 49, 25 in the Amplified says, For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save, defend, preserve, rescue, deliver your mm. children. The possibility of someone hurting my kids can be anxiety-inducing mm-hmm. or even paralyzing. Sure. But God made them. He loves them. Yep. And we can trust him. He's going to go before them. He's going to come behind them. And he will protect them better than I ever could. Yeah. And, you know, as a a mom who's a little further along than you are, because I don't remember your oldest is how old? Eight years old. Eight. So uh, I will say that I can look back and see when God has protected my kids. And maybe I didn't even know something was a concern, right? Right. Right. (laughs) Until later on. And so, and I also will add this one comment. I think there's a huge part of trusting like your instinct and perhaps that's the Holy Spirit that's saying, hey, and I remember a few instances where I I had a, a check in my spirit might be the way to say it, or just a thought like, wait a minute, this doesn't seem right. And I just said, I'm done, and yeah. we moved on. So, yeah. you know, I'm gonna, I removed my kids, or we did something different, and, um, you know, that's that's okay, too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, because I think God, the Holy Spirit, does help us through those things. So That's good. That's really helpful, and I think it's something we shouldn't be fearful of. Absolutely. It should be more like, this is just something we need to do, like we need to keep, teach our kids to eat their veggies. Exactly. Just a part of life. Exactly. Yeah, perfect. Hey, join us next week as we begin our summer book chats. Now, interesting, um, our summer book chats um, are all on the book Humility by C.J. Mahaney. And Heidi, you actually um, used this book as a great illustration back in episode 97 when you were on before. So I'm excited to read through this book all summer. Would you recommend the book? Absolutely. It's a must read on our family shelf. And I actually borrowed an illustration from that for this talk. Oh, you did? Okay. Well, we're going to let the the listeners kind of try to figure that out as they read the book. What what illustration is that? And, you know, it's really a short book. It's a very powerful book. Um, You can grab it off Amazon. You can get it on your Audible app. You can borrow it from a friend. Like, you know, there's a lot of options. Um, Although, I will say, you probably want to own it because... 
you know, you might want to reread it. This is what I found with all these summer books we do. I, they're books I need to reread. I think this is my third time that it's I've read it. It's also one of those books that you want to take notes. Yes, yes. Yeah. My book is full of that. Um, Erica Simpson will be back with me and we'll be chit-chatting three times this summer. Um, We're going to take the book and divide it into like four chapters and spend some time talking about it. So you'll want to grab it and start reading. I hope you'll join us for that episode that we're going to start next week on our book chats. And remember, when everything around you is shaken, you can stand unshaken because of our rock and our fortress because of God. Until next time. 